Are you happy? Are you happy? Literally, today, are you happy? And if so, why? Is there a a lasting reason that undergirds it? Perhaps you had a good week, something good happened to you. Or if you're here today and you're not happy, I wonder would you like to be? Well, Pharrell Williams, he's somewhat of a hip-hop mogul. Uh, he's created quite a popular song. I see you, and someone was like, I heard, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's only been five months, and it has over 220 million YouTube views, including those on his 24-hour-long music video for this one song. You either love it or you hate it. You'll hear it everywhere. Some of you have probably heard it and not known it. My wife, for one, she loves the song. You can catch her any day. It is blasting, and she's dancing like can't nobody see her. So the song is called Happy. It's live. It's a live song. It's upbeat, kind of lifts your spirits, gets you swaying side to side. It's one of them joints when you're sweeping, you like to listen to and, and jive with. But the song is not substantive at all. If anything, it's incredibly vague. Literally, all they're singing, all they're singing for real is, I'm happy. Obviously, with a better melody, I think there's some harmonies in there. Yet, it resonates with millions of people. Isn't that the longing of our day? Perhaps a longing even for humanity. Isn't life a complex pursuit of a rather simple state. Don't we all just want to be happy? Perhaps that's why the song is such a hit, why culture and age love to sing it. They're going city by city, and it's just videos filled with people dancing to it. But I think it's because it resonates with people's longing for happiness. And we glory in those moments we attain it. And it's to this very subject we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to think about happiness. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to always sing of our merriment? To be bursting forth with joy for our lives to resound with the refrain, I'm happy. And not like a fragile way that the world offers that's entirely circumstantial. You know, the world's idea is happiness is like those little fragile dandelions when they're fully mature. It's just, you know, with all the white seeds, you you slightly blow it and all the seeds just fly off. No, we need palm tree happiness that the winds of hurricanes can hit. And though they bend under them, they stay firmly in place. Well, to that end, we're going to look at the scriptures because while Pharrell can make a catchy song, groping at little puddles of joy. Jesus is the captain of happiness. And he bids us come and swim in his ocean of gladness. So, if you have a Bible with you today, and I hope you do, join me in Psalm 84. Psalm 84, we're going to be looking at a psalm of such joy and such saints who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
And I'm praying that the joy in this psalm will provoke our joy to jealousy and to join in. Psalm 84, it's on page 493, if you're using the Bibles provided to you. Psalm 84, and this is the word of the Lord. It starts by saying, to the choir master, according to the Gittah, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Oh, Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, oh God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, oh God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of break the psalm up into three chunks. We're going to use those selahs as natural kind of breakers. And we're just going to spend some time being instructed by this psalm as to the happiness of the saints. The happiness of the saints. If you're a note taker and you saw that the title was, Thank You for the Courts of the Lord, just scratch that out. The happiness of the saints. And so for the first section, let's look at verse 1. Through four, and we're going to consider now a happy destination. Our happy destination. Now, for some quick context, what appears to be happening here is the saints are longing to worship God in His temple. The psalmist is longing to be in the courts of the Lord. The courts of the Lord were in the temple. Perhaps on his way to a pilgrimage. Maybe he was on his way. We read earlier on the way to Passover. They would voyage there. Uh, perhaps he's just rem- remembering how wonderful it was in his mind. You know, there were times where Israel would gather for worship in the temple together. This is clearly in view in this psalm by mention of the courts and the altars. It's in verse 2, 3, and 10. And that talk about Zion and each man presenting himself there, verse 5 and 7. But other than that, we really don't know what event has inspired the psalmist to pin this. Other than... His happiness and his longing to worship God where he is. So what we know for sure is he really, really liked worshiping God where he is. 
Let's look again at verse 1. Hear his delight in his destination. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Or as the King James puts it, how amiable are thy tabernacles. So if someone were to ask you about heaven, when they ask you about heaven, what kind of descriptives come into your mind? Is lovely one of them? It should be. Wherever God dwells is lovely. Lovely, he says, lovely. The dwelling place of the Lord of armies is lovely. Lovely enough to make him long and faint to be there. It's one thing to say something. It's another altogether to feel it. And he feels it. The psalmist is emotional. He's moved. He's desperate. Let's measure our hearts by his, juxtapose the two. There is no mere calculation that the dwelling place is lovely, but it's also a strong conviction that affects him. He is longing and fainting. Now we got to fill in the meaning. Why is he longing and fainting? You know, does the psalmist just got something for courts? You know, the Bible's clear. The Lord is a master builder. His temple was dope. That thing was beautiful. But notice he doesn't draw attention to any of those things. So when he says, my soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. Is this dude just really excited about Hebrew architecture? Is he like super longing to get to the church building on Sunday because of the lovely stained glass and the comfy pews? No, no, no. What did he say? It's because God is there. My heart, he says, and flesh sing for joy to the living God. See, the tabernacle was lovely because that's where God is. And God is lovely. Psalmist in 73 asked, Whom have I in heaven but you? I think he would agree. Who we got in the temple but you? What's lovely in the temple but you? The dwelling place is lovely because the one who dwelled there is lovely. God himself. And may, may our Father let this rub off on us, this robust joy, so real that you sing for joy to God from it. That you favor his dwelling place because of it, that you're desperate enough to faint from not being there with him. Look at verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Psalmist is jealous of the birds. He envies in the most holy of ways their proximity to the dwelling place of God. That even they get to make a home at the altars of the Lord. 
that their dwelling place is the Lord's dwelling place. See, the psalmist holy esteem for the place where the Lord dwells. He counts the small, insignificant bird among the most blessed of creation because they get to abide at the altars of God. See how that's, that pronouncement even ends? He says, my God and king, or my king and my God. And this pronouncement is really the covenant statement that gives us a share in the joy and happiness of the psalm. It's not that he's the Lord of hosts. This would all be true. The reason it's particularly happy for us is because he's our king and God. That is God is our God. The Lord of armies is our king. This is our passport into everlasting happiness. Now, friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we actually don't believe you have a portion in this promise or a confirmed place where we are headed. 1 Thessalonians 5, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. See, as we are glorifying in what awaits us when we go and be with him, it is completely dependent on what we have done with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our king and our God. We understand that our sins keep us from God, that unless our sins are dealt with in a way that is satisfactory, To God, we cannot be with him in peace. We can only face him in his wrath. And for us who have turned to Christ and affirm him as the king and their God who trust in Christ's sacrifice in our place, he gives us freedom. Freedom to come and obtain salvation. We're no longer destined for wrath. But now we have a happy destination of obtaining salvation with him. So if you're here today and you have not trusted in Christ, we believe you are still destined for wrath. But please know the invitation is extended to obtain salvation. The Lord always says, come, come. And no matter how worthless or insignificant you may feel, you can learn a lesson from the sparrow and the swallow. Even the smallest and insignificant can find rest at the altar of God. Find safe lodging there. Find him to be king and God because, as verse 4 tells us, blessed are those who dwell in his house. Ever singing your praise. So the psalmist is thinking back. Think how glorious it is to be with God, to worship God where he is. Then the Levites had the unique task of being priests and dwelling in the house of the Lord day in and day out. He's looking at them like, man, they got the best job in the world. But as part of our salvation and inheritance in Christ, part of what he qualifies us to partake of is that we are all considered priests. We're a royal priesthood. To proclaim his excellencies, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name 
forever and ever. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So that our bodies as the new temples of God and as the church, the temple comprised of the living stones. We worship, adore, and praise him for who he is. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. You know, on the last day, we're going to join the forever gathering huddle up of those saved and worship him forever. And the psalmist says, happy are those who are there. Christian, consider our happy destination. But, Christian, perhaps today you feel less than happy about that. Maybe not smiling ear to ear. Maybe not fainting. Your heart and your flesh singing for joy to God. Maybe that's not you today, as it wasn't me when I first came to this song. But I was revived, and I pray the same for you. And if that is you, I do hope that you are calling your soul forward, reminding of what's true, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. But even after saying that, perhaps you still are not happy. And you're exhausted. Maybe you're weary. You're tired. Cumbered from the sojourning. Is the psalmist here perhaps a little unrealistic to you? Did he not have any bills he could not pay? That's what you're saying. Yeah, he, he had bills paid. Or maybe he didn't have any physical ailments that wouldn't go away. Maybe he wasn't in a marriage that was in a season of wreck. Does he not consider the hardship of the saints as well to balance this happiness? Should that not curb our happiness at all? It's actually quite the opposite. Not only is the psalmist immensely set on a happy destination, he also considers it a happy journey and those who make it happy travelers to get there as well. Let's look at verse 5 through 8, and we're going to consider the saints as happy travelers. The saints as happy travelers. Let's just look at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pool. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion, O Lord, God of hosts. Hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. Now off the cuff, the psalmist lets us know what the secret of the source is. Right there in verse 5. He doesn't say blessed are those without headaches. Or happy are those with lots of money. No health issues, behaving kids, a loving husband and a submissive wife. No, what does he say? He said, happy are those whose strength is in you. And whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Happy are the saints whose strength is 
the Lord of hosts, whose hearts have the ways of and the way to God in them. They don't fret over the terrain because they know he'll provide strength for each territory. They are so filled with a vision of Christ and the surpassing worthiness of knowing him and being found in him and that this journey of life will lead them to him, that they can endure anything by his strength that he assigns them because they've learned the secret. They know how to be brought low. They know how to abound in any and every circumstance. They have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, cancer and a clean bill of health, a hard marriage or an easy one. They can do all things through him who strengthens them. They can count it a pure joy when they meet a trial of any kind. For the Lord of armies strengthens them. And look at the effect. Look at verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca. Anybody know where that is? Neither do theologians. So the valley of Baca, they actually don't think it's a real place. I think it's an illusion, kind of a, a, a picture. Because Baca means weeping. Many tears. So as they go through the valley of hardship, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So I think the imagery is this. That they are in this valley headed to Zion. They're going to see the king and worship him where he is. And they're in this stretch that is troublesome. It's hard, maybe because it's extra rocky. Perhaps it's dry and proneness to drought. But they, those strengthened by the Lord, they make it into springs. Friends, are you in a valley that has sapped your joy away? The Lord of might can strengthen you to turn it into a spring. As they go through the valley of adversity and hardship, they make it a place of glory and fruitfulness. And we must know how. How do they do this? For this is the secret to the saints' happy travels. To walk through the valley of Baca and turn it into a garden of Eden? How do you do that? Well, they are strengthened by the Lord. He and his ways are like highways in their heart, the text says. So they have strength to rejoice, not only in the hope of glory, but also to rejoice in sufferings. Knowing what? Suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. It's a happy journey. Indeed, when even the valley of weeping is made for you to be springs filled with pools of blessing. Blessings of goodness, even in the valley of tears. And we know that for those who love God, all things, even the valleys of weeping, work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, for those who call him king and God, happy are those whose strength is in the Lord. 
perhaps if you're not marked with happiness in this season, it's an indication you're not finding your strength in the Lord. May his ways, the highway to him, be firmly rested in your heart. And look what happens to them. The text keeps going. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. That's not supposed to happen. Have you ever went running before? I went once. You don't go from strength to strength. You go from strength to tired. Quickly. Their souls are longing to be with God, fainting, even singing for joy in him. And as they walk the way towards him, their strength is ever sustained. He's the Lord of hosts. Almighty. It's good he's almighty when you need might. Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. If you're tired of walking to glory, you have a source of strength. As Brother Paul would say, 2 Corinthians 4, so they don't lose heart. Why? Though the outer self is wasting away, their inner self is being renewed day by day. One degree of glory to the next. And look where such dependence leads. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Look at the end of their travels before God in Zion, the very place their heart was aimed. They made it. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. They make it. Isn't it encouraging to know that finding our strength in God secures our destination with him? Each one appears before God in Zion. Safely in his strength, he provides for the journey, and he will not lose one of us. I like that it says each. Since only those who are carried by the Lord to Zion actually make it there. Our feeble frames weren't made for the journey. We need divine assistance and aid. Wouldn't it be horrible to know of a glorious place you could go, but not have the strength to get there? The psalmist is saying, happy are those who have the strength to get there. Their strength is in the Lord. We need divine aid, and perhaps that's why this stanza ends with a prayer, a plea to be heard, a plea for strength. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Happy are those whose strength is in you, not in themselves. And prayer is a primary way we look to him. It's a primary way we empty ourselves of strength and fuel up on his strength for us. 
Many times we're weak because we have not prayed. We stand upon his promises and his word. We call upon our covenant God and we request help in prayer. We say, O Lord God of hosts, hear us. Give ear, our covenant God. You've promised to. Help to see our failures is working for our souls. Help to see our trials producing steadfastness. Help to see our sufferings producing our hope. Help to make the valley of weeping into the springs of blessing. Do you consider the Christian life a happy one? If you're here today and weary, switch where you're finding the strength. Get a new power up. Call to God for help in prayer and confidence. Go to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's what he does. In God's economy, our journey is not blessed merely because of what's on or off it. Those things find their value in how it relates to where we're headed. So each step, even if it's a hard step, is a step closer to our happy destination. Now, please don't think that by referring to our voyage as happy, I mean to say there's no true, deep grief or sorrow. No, I realize that. I felt that. I believe the psalmist would amen that. But the song is singing something over us. And I believe over the journey, and it's not despair and hurt. It's blessing and happiness. He's not saying troubled are the ones who dwell with the Lord. He's saying not happy, blessed. He's not saying, ah, feel bad for the people in the valley of Bacah. No, happy are those who have strength in him, even when they're there. It's not the weeping from the valley of tears, but the springs of the pool of blessing. Sorrowful, sure, but always rejoicing. Happy are the travelers whose strength is in the Lord of might. Finally, let's consider the heart of our happiness. So we're looking at the psalmist and he is geeked about the dwelling place of God. He thinks it's lovely. He thinks God is lovely. He thinks it so much he feels it. He's fainting for it. His heart, his flesh, cry out to God from it. I wish I could be like a sparrow in the building of the Lord. Blessed are those who go there and blessed are those who get strength to make it. Now let's consider that heart. Verse 9. This could be a continuation of the prayer he just started. Or it could just be a new thought altogether. 
This is kind of like he has a rapid fire of happiness. What does he say? Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So as the nation of Israel would have pleaded for God to behold their king, their protector, their shield, to look on the face of the man he has given as their head, do we not do the same thing as Christians? In all our appeals to God, do they not begin with, Behold our king. First, look on the face of your anointed one. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Here is the great well of our happiness that God looks to Christ before he looks to us. That God looks to Christ as he looks to us. We trust Christ for everything, and so we must come through Christ for everything. And we agree it's lovely, is it not? For it is only in Christ that we have redemption by his blood and are made alive to God. It is only in Christ that we are pleasing to God and joint heirs with him. It is only in Christ, that the promises of God find a yes and amen for us. It is only in Christ that we are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It is only in Christ that we are made to be holy and blameless. It is only in Christ that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and sealed with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee we will be with him one day. The heart of Christianity is God. Look to Christ. We are hiding in him. He's our shield. Oh, we long to be with him where he is. And this is highly practical. Why is this highly practical, you ask? Excellent question. Look at verse 10. What should, what should filling, filling up our happiness in God and being with him where he is, what does that do other than just make you happy? Does it do anything? I think so. The psalmist thinks so. Verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. An exalted view of Jesus is very practical. Why? He's lovely. Where he is is lovely. Our joy is in him. Our strength is in him. We really want to be with him where he is. So the psalmist here concludes that type of joy and gladness, sense of blessedness is one nobody wants to lose. 
that the loveliness of God makes us flee from the tents of wickedness. Just as a question, friend, if you're here, does the loveliness of Christ make you flee from wickedness? Do you brace it up with a logic that says God is so lovely and where he is is so lovely because he's there and I want to do whatever it takes to be there. I'd rather have the lowest job in glory than be at the greatest party of sin. I think it's wanting to be there as an incentive to flee. I think mean, it's what Jesus meant in Mark 9, 43. What does he say? And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? It is better for you to enter the kingdom. It's better you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. If your foot cause you to sin, cut it off. Why? It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Why? It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye then with two eyes be thrown into hell. It is better to enter the kingdom of God, even if it means being on the lower job task in the courts, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness and be cast into hell. Again, friends, if you're here today and you have not turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, Come to the kingdom of God. It's better for you. Abandon your tents of wickedness because they will be thrown into the unquenchable fire and you with them. Join us on our travels to Zion where God himself will receive us and have us with him forever. It's better for you. And for me, it's literally thousands of times better. Psalmist continues for, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He is a sun and just as the sun shines and sources and clothes what it hits and light, and goodness, and life. So does Christ. He shines on his saints and bestows favor and honor. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you with favor and honor. And favor and honor he protects and upholds until the end. He showers his saints with blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. He withholds nothing good from them. Do you have a promise like that anywhere 
he withholds nothing good from them? If it's good for you, Christian, it's yours. No qualifiers. It's an amazing promise. Our king, our God withholds nothing good from us. Therefore, if you lack something, you want to be assured it's not good for you. God doesn't lie. Because if it was good for you, you'd have it. Spurgeon said, if there was any condition for us better than the one in which we find ourselves, divine love would have put us there. We are the excellent ones in whom is all his delight. Not because we're excellent, but because we're with the excellent one. Because he beholds his anointed one. And we happen to be with him. We're headed to a happy place. We're strengthened to be happy travelers. And we are promised everything needful for our happiness. The God of the cosmos who made everything you could conceive literally says to you, Christian, I will not keep anything good from you. Nothing. If you don't have a spouse, instead of murmur, no, it's because it's not good for you. If you're in a hardship and you, you wish for physical freedom, if you're a Christian, you'll get it one day. But he has not wronged you. He's producing something else you're unaware of, but it's good for you. No good thing does he withhold. That's why he gives us trials. How else would we be ready to meet him when we see him? We're promised everything. Needful for our happiness, what shall we say to these things? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect who has him for their shield? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, was raised, who is at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall the valley of Baca? The valley of weeping or tears or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword at is it written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Don't be confused, Christian. You're regarded one way, but the Lord sings over you something else. He sings, blessed. Knowing all these, we are more than conquerors through him. Through him who 
strengthens us who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How's the psalm end? Blessed or happy is the one who trusts in him. The God who made all, owns all, has invited us to be with him forever. And as we're on this Christian life, you just need to see it as we're on a journey. We know how the movie ends, though. So what, your leg gets snagged up in something, or you lose an arm, or you gags out an eye, We'll be with the lovely one where he dwells. So our psalm began with the psalmist longing to dwell there, dwell in the courts of the Lord, to be with him in his temple, because that would be pure happiness to all saints. It was a happy destination, and therefore it made the journey there happy as well. And for those of us on this side of the cross, those of us who come to his altar, not at his temple, but his altar of the cross, we can harmonize with this song for joy because we are likewise headed to dwell with God. And it's lovely. Paul said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So take heart, brothers and sisters, we're on a happy journey. Even if it's hard, we will dwell in the house of the Lord. But Revelation 21 tells us it won't be a house or a lovely tabernacle, but it's a glorious city. And there the most lovely reality will occur. What the psalmist is longing for here is realized there. This is what the text says. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. and They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And though they went through the valley of weeping, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, happy day. Let's pray.